Welcome to Asian in Aotearoa, uncensored conversations with creative Asian women. I'm Jenna, and in this episode, I meet Jamishka Chetty. Jamishka is a South African Indian and a poet, artist, writer, and performer, who, with her creative partner, Iwa Puamon, brought shows like Go Home Curry Muncher and Have You Ever Been With an Asian Woman to Life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so sorry, I interrupted. You no, came here, everyone's like polite yeah and... polite and and um and very like reserved that's the one thing I noticed about New Zealand or Kiwi culture everyone's very reserved and so that was like weird and also you know when you're 15 you've already made your group of friends and you've sort of already you've already like sort of formed your identity and then you have to kind of forget your other identity and then pick up a new one what an age to do that what an age to yeah it was it was it was an experience. I mean, I think it made me go inside, internal a little bit more. And then it's when I officially started writing more poems and, you know, all my experiences and my feelings. I got into my feelings when I was 15. Oh, yes. Definitely got into my feelings and wrote some banana curry poems about, like, how I brought banana curry sandwiches to school because that's just, like, a norm, right? I would, mm-hmm. My mother would had cooked that for me for lunch since I could remember, since I was really young. And then when I brought it out um, in McLean's College, it was like, oh, what's, what's that? <laughs> Banana mm. Was that on your bread? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's just what I eat every day. And so those little things made me realize that, that I was different. Yes, yeah, you were othered. I was othered, yeah. I didn't feel, I didn't assert myself as other when I came here, but... It was almost like other people made me feel that way. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was a reminder that you are different. All these little things of, like, the food that you bring to school and the color of your skin and not seeing anyone else who looks like you. It's just these layers of, like, oh, I feel so isolated here. What is going on? And I was so upset with my family for moving. I was like, why did we have to come here? Like, everything was so you know, going so good in South Africa. But from their perspective, it wasn't, you know, because of the crime and the corruption and there wasn't a lot of opportunities for them. Yeah, and it was just a weird time. Where is home for you? Mm. Now? Yeah. Home is inside. Home is my heart. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've I've been pondering that question a lot recently, actually, especially during the lockdown. Like, what is home? So I've been here for about 12 years and I went back to South Africa I think six years ago for the first time since I moved here and I thought oh I was going to go back to South Africa and everything was going to feel normal and it didn't it didn't feel like home at all because I had you know kind of I guess assimilated it to Kiwi culture during my teenage young adolescent years and I had this accent and you know this way of thinking and this way of talking and then I went back home to South Africa and it seemed distant, yes. if you know what I mean. It, I was um, in a surrounding that I had grown up with and um, heard familiar voices, but it didn't connect the same as it did when I was younger. And it was like the memories, the reality kind of replaced the memories. It's almost like a, they superimposed on each uh-huh. other, if you know what I mean. Yes. And then it was like a, a reality check. Oh, no, Jamishka, 
you you're different. You're actually different. You're different to your family. You're I mean you always have been. I always have been different to me, like the sort of the black sheep, but you're different to the South African culture that you had kept alive in your memory when you were in New Zealand. And then I came back to New Zealand and then I found myself feeling like, oh, this is familiar. Like seeing the sky tower when you land. It's like, oh, you know that feeling? Yes. It's so surreal because it's like you have your feet, you have one leg in New Zealand and you have one leg in South Africa and you're sort of straddling in between. And that's kind of what it feels like at the moment. Like I'm straddling these two in-between spaces, but I'm floating, you know? Yeah. And... I've had to do some soul-searching and realize home is me. I am home. It's not a place. Sometimes it's memories. Sometimes it's food. A lot of the times it's poetry. But, yeah, home is my heart and, and like, my choices and my desires and me fulfilling those childhood dreams. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Can you tell me about your unconventional performance, Go Home Kari Mancha, mm-hmm. and your insight about MasterChef? Yes, the unconventional performance of Go Home Kari Mancha. Well, I guess to begin with, where was the inspiration, right? Yes. Yeah. So I collaborated with a friend who's Iowa, Purmon, and she's um, Thai Chinese. And so she had mentioned to me, about MasterChef and how there were these um, European judges mm. and they would always critique. I think that in one season there was a Thai contestant and this, I think it was Gordon Ramsay or, you know, one of Some these of white daddies. <laughs> um, <laughs> these like fucking... <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> um, they would were critiquing her cuisine, and they were coming from a place of like that they know <laughs> Thai cuisine more than a Thai contestant, mm. and like we found that really hilarious. First of all, like the hypocrisy, but also really offensive. Mm. Because how can you claim to know another culture's cuisine when you haven't grown up with that culture? When you when you are not from that culture. And and then we went down this rabbit hole of, like, all these other food and travel shows yes. where Gordon Ramsay goes to, like, India and then he, like, learns about, you know, the culinary cuisine of that country and that region. And then he attempts to cook it himself, but he adds in, like, these new ingredients. Or these, yeah. And we're like, no. And then, and then this one episode... He was competing with this um, woman from India and who is like the renowned cook of the village. And and he was like, oh, I really want to win. I really want to win. And then he got so upset that he came second and she came first. And I was like, excuse me, of course uh, you should. What were you expecting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so that was something that resonated within us in the sense that these other um, chefs, these predominantly white chefs, white male chefs, go into other lands and... and, and and add their own twists into already existing cultural cuisines like they know it. And then there's, like, the sense of ownership that they have over it, right? Yes. And then they go and judge yes. the people of that culture. Yeah. Like, you know, when I read that, I was like, fuck, that's such a good insight. And then I was thinking, you know, it's not just the judges of these shows or whatever, publishers, books, things. It's the the whole thing about the producers and the directors yeah. and the TV networks. This whole gang And you look people. about and you look and see what all those people represent. Yeah. 
And it's like, well, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's it, and then it becomes like a little, it becomes a fetish in a way, right? Mm. When there's this one contestant, um, and they're cooking their cultural cuisine, and then there's a like this whole gang of white people, and like you said, the producers and everyone is like, "Ooh, this is gonna make for great TV." Yeah, but it's you know, it's it's people's lives, it's their cultures, it's their identity, yeah. and so it's one aspect of this colonial world that we subscribe to, unfortunately, and and no one says anything, and that's the problem is that they continue to do it. And they've done it with women, right? They've objectified women, and now they're doing it with food. And so when is it going to stop, right? Like, yeah. when is our culture going to not be, like, a trend or a fetish or a kink for you guys? Yeah. When is it? When are we going to be seen as normal? Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Yes. But then we also, so going off that, we noticed that these other fusion restaurants popping up in Auckland. Mm. And there was one in Christchurch, which I don't know if it's still around, but they had these really, these racist menus. Um, I don't know if you know about it. I think it's called oh. Bamboozle. No, it was kind of like wine and wongs. Was it like that? Yeah. Sort of, that, um, that was the menu. Oh, fuck. What were some of the things? It was like Chinese. What, what, yeah, yeah. And they had, yeah, it was really offensive. And so we, we saw this and we were like, well, we have to. We have to talk about it. And so we didn't really have, like, an overall structure or necessarily a theme for Go Home Curry Mancha, but we had things that we were triggered by that we wanted to talk about. And the great thing about that experience is that we didn't come from a theatre background or a professional kind of acting background or professional writing background. We um, we did poetry. That was, like, our main source of uh, expression. But we did poetry from a community aspect. So... We got, you know, we did workshops with Renee Liang and, and Iowa did either Chinese with Alice Canton. And um, and then I had done, like, work with Borne, Tarungabai. And so we felt like we could share our experiences because of that opportunity that we had with community work because your voice is uplifted and it doesn't matter how polished your work is or how raw it is. It's just about what you have to say. and And that really, I think helped us. I think if we came from a traditional theatre space, we wouldn't have had that opportunity to feel like we could say what we wanted to say, mm-hmm. right? We would have felt the pressure to be polished or to be traditional or to be, you know, make this so it can be an award-winning show. But the fact that we came from a non-narrative space, we were like, fuck this shit. <laughs> we're going to say what we're going to say. And, yeah, and so that's how that baby was born. And it, it started from noticing these things around Auckland and then we brought in our own experiences from our poems, which was my banana curry mm. poem and I was um, other poems. And so it ended up being this reclamation of our identities, along with um, telling white daddies to shut the fuck up <laughs> when it comes yes. to our cuisine. Yeah. Yes. And so talk to me about the paper that refused to publish anything. Oh. And the issue. Yeah. With the word decolonize. Isn't that so funny that people have an issue with the word decolonize? I can't roll my eyes. <laughs> like in oh. 2020, of all eras, I mean, sorry, it wasn't 2020, it was 2019, so it was a different time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but... We didn't expect it, right? Mm-hmm. We had a great season at the basement, uh, kind of okay season at Wellington because it was 
mainly white people and they didn't get Gokham Curry Muncher. They were very, like, you should have seen their faces. They, yes, tell me about it. For me, it was the best thing in the world because they were shocked and they were, like, startled. We have a lot of um, gags, but they're POC gags. Right. Yeah, so what kind of things, if you don't mind hearing? Yeah, 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 so no. What kind of things triggered these white people? So, um, for example, <laughs> I uh, put on a white wig, and my persona during the MasterChef segment was um, Wendy White. So I played a white woman <laughs> who um, loves to cook spices from Calcutta, um, and she adds turmeric, and she does yoga. Oh, yes. And so that, I think, was offensive because it, it called people out without actually calling people out. Like, and then I feel like we all know that person yes, as well. Yes, don't we? Mm. Um, <laughs> Karen. Um, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and so what, what did I say? Yeah, so... I was I played Wendy White and I were played um, like this oversexualized Asian contestant. So she was like the hypersexualized like Lucy Liu persona. Right. And so we were competing uh, with each other, and I I would say like oh no I'm gonna add um, <laughs> I'm gonna add more spice to. I don't know something 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 right I forgot the line and then I would say oh how about some white tears for your white guilt. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, mm, some appropriation. Oh. And so we cooked this dish of racism. Okay. Right? And then we we fed it to the audience, and um, they were uncomfortable. <laughs> they were like, uh, are we allowed to take this? Is it is it okay? I'm like, yes, yes, it's part of the show. Just take it. Yeah, and, and we also, there was a poem called The... The curry manja poem, and we said, you know, we we overtly talked about racism. We, I was poem was about white boys fetish, fetishizing her. I deep throated a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yep. <laughs> um, we threw spices into the audience. We threw rice into the audience. Yeah, we we mentioned how in in the performances how people love like Indian food and love to go to yoga, but they won't respect the taxi drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. People who come here with PhDs mm. and you know like a lot of qualifications, but they have to drive taxis to support their families, and um, and all of that contradiction in in white culture and our place within it and and how. It hurts. Mm. Um, it's painful because get, we get reminded of how we are different every single day. You know, we we don't want to feel that way. Mm. Um, and then at the end, we told them to go home, fish and chip munches. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. that might have been a little confronting for some people. Wow. <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah. And it was like a big, giant release of... Yeah, carry on. Of, um, yeah, it was a big, giant release of all the frustration and all the rage and all the pain that we had experienced. So it was therapy for us, I think. Yeah. Other than it being a show, it was, for me and Iowa, it was powerful. Yeah. Um, no matter what people took away from it. I think that's the most important thing that I realized from that experience. Yeah, for you. Yeah. Especially having not done something like that before. Yeah. And just... Doing it. Bringing it to life. Like, yeah. fuck, that's awesome. And bringing it to life, like, in full force. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Unapologetically. Yeah. Ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. 
not thinking about, oh, will people like this? Will people get offended by this? Yeah, just being like, I like to do this. I want to see this in theater or in shows. I'm going to do it. Um, I want to see people talk about this in an uncensored way because that's the main thing about New Zealand culture that I realize when it comes to race, there's always this layer added over it, which is like a glossiness, right? Oh, we can kind of dabble in it, but we can't be overt about it. And so going back to the de- decolonizing thing, right? Oh, I yes, sort of went yeah. on a tangent. But <laughs> so, yeah, so after the success of that, and the, the basement was a better response because predominantly people of color came and watched the show, whereas Wellington, it was just white people. Mm. And so the reactions were very different. Wellington was very cold and um, and a bit, like, awkward. Uh, yeah. But the basement, everyone was responding and everyone was laughing. And everyone was like, yeah, cheering. And, and there's some interactive parts where we ask people to come up um, and participate as contestants. And everyone, like, came up and, you know, it was so refreshing to come back to Auckland and have that response. But it also made me realise... That if you go outside of Auckland, mm-hmm. it's a different territory, <clears throat> isn't it? Oh, yes. Like, we just went as far as Wellington. Imagine if we went to Christchurch. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a whole different story. Yes. Yeah, I was just talking uh, to Abby about Christchurch mm. in the last episode. And even I'm thinking, even when I went to Nelson, with this is when I was with my um, Pahia boyfriend years ago, I just remember people looking at us and it being so different. Mm. Yeah. And by different, I mean very white. Yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's just say, say how it was. I yeah. was like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you forget. It's easy to forget that mm. what New Zealand, the other parts of New Zealand. Yeah. And here. that's so, I don't know, like it's frustrating because why, like, I just, in my mind, I think New Zealand is as advanced as in their thinking as Auckland, but it's not. And it, it sucks that people of colour can only feel that way in Auckland. You know, we, sh- we should feel that way in the rest of New Zealand. Mm. Like, I felt so out of place in Wellington. And mm. I had been there, like, twice before, but when we went there with the show Go Home Karimanja, I had, I don't know if we can go into this at this time, but... Like, I had, re- like, a really shit time. We checked into this hostel, and um, it was just me and Iowa, f- you know, because we were needing a place to stay for the show. And it was a really fancy, like, in my perspective, it was a bougie hostel. They had, like, marble, um, a marble kitchen and, like, these, like, nice blue tiles. And, you know, and it was a hostel, but it felt like a hotel. And they had, like, these um, covers in your in each bed and I was this is like first class this is amazing and also I'd never seen any other person of color in that hostel or or when we touched down in Wellington and so these are just things that I that we say to each other right as as people of color like, oh, I don't see any other brown people here I only see white people here right and so I said this to Iowa like I was having a I was having a conversation with Iowa me and Iowa in private yes we were upstairs and um, I said, I, you know, I feel like we're the only brown people here. And then the reception guy from downstairs overhears our conversation. And he's like, did I hear you right? And I'm like, <laughs> where God. Is that, where, is <laughs> yeah. where is that voice coming from? <laughs> Vishnu, are you talking to me? <laughs> and then I, I look down and it's this uh, Pakia receptionist. And he's like, do you think you're the only brown people here? 
and he had to prove a point. And then coincidentally, an African-American guest who was staying at the hostel walked in. And then he sends this African-American guy upstairs and then the receptionist comes up behind him and he's like, see, I told you you're not the only brown people here. Oh, yikes, dude. Yikes. And I was like, what happened? I was having a conversation with Iowa. How did this escalate into like a confrontation between me and him and him having to prove his like masculinity to me and so I was I was confused and and as we do and sometimes in uncomfortable situations I laughed it off I was like ha, 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 ha. is this like a weird initiation thing this is so ha, 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 ha. and he's like no either you're you know you're that or you're just really racist oh yeah I was like so thank you for perpetuating your own stereotype um and how white people are confronted by us and the things that we have to say. Yeah. And that, so that irritated me. <laughs> fucking irritated me. And then, I have another story for you, if okay. you want. Yeah, 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 give me. <laughs> I'll, I'll, share, I'll share what a mindset, yeah. Okay, me. yes. <laughs> um, so it was two days after this incident with the white guy, and I had been brewing, and I'm, I'm a pretty chilled person. Like, I'm easygoing. I don't let things get to me. But we had come down with the show called Go Home Karimanja. I had never felt comfortable to wear a sari out in public before, like in in a Western space. Um, my skin, like my skin, was darker because I had been in the sun rehearsing, and I and I know these things, right? These are things that we I internalize from my upbringing and and everything else, and watching TV and all these other things. And so this guy had called me racist for saying that I felt like the only brown person in in, in the room, and then performed first night second night performed and then we had to move um some props around in in our container that we were performing in so myself and I were carrying this tv out and moving things around and then I noticed these two white women these like dutch women stare at us and then we were rehearsing in our container and we had set up like our garlands and I was my sari and I was in her um, costume as well. And then I noticed that they continued to stare at us. And you know when people stare at you longer than normal, right? Mm. Like sometimes people look at you like, oh, okay, Mm. there's another human. But they were staring at us like for more than five seconds. And I was ticked off. Let me tell you, I was mad. (laughs) The Kali inside of me was ready to rage. And so I said, fuck this. I, um, I yelled at them and I was like, what the fuck are you staring at? Have you never seen a brown person before? <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 we're just looking. We were just interested in what's what's in the container because it's a show. Blah, 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 blah. And then they walked off. I was like, yeah, you walk off. <laughs> yeah, go off. Yeah. 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 But that, yeah, that's my story. Interesting that that happened around the sh- very meta sort of experience. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I had an experience where, at an old place where I worked, my work friend was talking about, this is when Crazy Rich Asians came out. Yeah. Okay. So, Crazy Rich Asians for me, I actually found myself getting emotional while I was watching it because it was like I heard a reference to the language that my father Mm. speaks. All those cultural things I'd never seen before in a normalised way. Like, it was... Yeah. In that context. Not to say that there are some prob- not some problematic things about right. that, but, but I digress. Yeah. Yeah. So my friend was saying how her mother and her mother's friend went to see Crazy Rich Asians and they're white and they, they just sort of they just thought it was kind of boring and yeah, it wasn't that good. And I was 
<laughs> so I mean, I, I mean, I could have said this a little bit more diplomatically, perhaps, but I said, well, it wasn't made for you. <laughs> I love that. But because, okay, I could have said, oh, but that's what came out yeah. in my sort of triggered state. Yeah, that's right. Um, because, you know, gone my whole life without seeing me, yeah, my culture, my family reflected and yeah. normalised. Yeah, you know, and when I said that, a white guy, another again, piped up from, you know, not in the conversation, but yeah. just popped up. And he would go, that's racist, <laughs> points his finger at me. Um, wow. And I was like, oh. Here we, here we go. Yeah, and it was it was actually because I'm a very nice people pleaser person. I'm yeah, like fuck you. Anyway. Yeah, but I was sort of we had this conversation. He's from Christchurch. Yeah, uh, about how important it was. It meant something to me to see Asians not as doctors, ninjas, mafia people, and to actually see a romance mm. story. Yeah, because you never see that. You never see romance. Yeah. And just to see that that a little bit of Asianness, yeah, in a positive, light, joyful way, yeah, yeah. And and, and then I, and then I also then I was sort of saying this and being like, you know, I, I can't. What do I say? Something about you know, this was you know. I said you don't know what it's like to not see yourself in movies mm. or re- or not to see yourself represented. Mm. And whether it's not me, but just people that look like you. You don't yeah. see pe- members of your people, like my, there were like aunties. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's like my auntie. Yeah. You know, and the pr- the prayer books and the, you know, yeah. the mothers and all of that. And then he was, oh, I haven't thought about that way. But it was a really good lesson and a reminder that, oh, he didn't mean to, but it's like they actually don't know. The representation thing, it's like they don't actually even think, think of about it. I was like, imagine being a white guy and seeing yourself reflected everywhere. I know. You see yourself reflected in boardrooms and, mm. like, all sorts of leadership positions. Yeah. Making all the money. To see yourself reflected doing everything yeah. instead of just these pigeonholed things. Yeah. It's a different world. It truly, truly is. And I think, to be honest, white people don't realize how it makes us feel or the, the difference in feeling. Mm. The, you know, when you see yourself reflected everywhere versus when you don't or when you see yourself reflected in problematic mm. ways. Because, because you walk on this earth with that confidence when you see yourself reflected oh. everywhere. And that's the thing that people don't realize is representation is about a, isn't about a trend, isn't about a tick, it isn't about making money or being politically correct so you don't get cancelled on Twitter. It's about celebrating everyone on this planet because everyone deserves that representation. Mm. And it's not, it shouldn't be about equity. And that's the thing that really ticks me off about representation and the discussion around it. It's it's coming from this top-down place. It's It's not about equity. Unfortunately, we live in a world where equity has more value than people's lives or their soul or their hearts or, or, or their feeling. It's about how we connect with each other as human beings. And if I can't connect with the film, then I don't feel like I have value in this world. I don't feel like my worth is of anything. I, f- I feel like I have to be quiet or I have to conform to a different type of jamishka. And that's not how people should feel. And so this is why it like really, when I see things like, oh, this is, you know, another diversity thing, or we're, we're going to try and, and, and um, diversify our writer's table, or we're going to try and do all these things. I'm like, just stop. You know, it just, it just, the conversation is not nuanced enough, I think. And it's, and it's always white people who are upset with 
this cancel culture situation or this representation model. Yes, I, I, I we, we, we will hire more people of color. We will hire more Asian writers in the room. We will hire more this, more that. And it's not just about hiring because then it becomes a trend. Then we feel like we're just a trend. Mm. Because when Crazy Rich Asians came up, it blew up everywhere. And it was amazing and it was incredible for the culture and the community and for the people of that community. But then it's it shouldn't just be a trend. It shouldn't just be about this movie, we're going to add these people into this movie so this movie makes money because diversity is trending right now. What happens when diversity isn't trending? Are stories just going to be as important or is it just going to be about this new money-making scheme that you have in mind? (laughs) But, But isn't it funny how we have to tell ourselves to calm down, going back to your point about when that white guy called you racist. Mm. I felt gu- I felt guilty for for yelling at that yes. white woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And isn't that strange? Yes. We have to tell ourselves no, no, no. Be be respectable. Yeah. Got to be good. Yeah. We got to like say fuck the system but also but good to say it in a really nice way so that we don't hurt any feelings. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I was really tired about because we have so much emotions inside of us. That we have to censor ourselves mm. all the time. And it comes back to this idea of what is the ideal Asian woman? She never speaks out. You know, and I've never I've never seen an Asian woman speak out or be angry or be like, don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know? Totally. And then you wonder why there's this, like... I mean, I wonder why, you know, I've really struggled with using my voice. Yeah. And then there's guilt added to it when we do use our voice. Yes. Because it's like, oh, no, Jamishka, there's guilt or shame attached to it, right? Like, yes. oh, no, you shouldn't have said yes. that. How could you? Yeah. And that's not, and to say also, it doesn't just come from white people. It also comes from people that in our communities. Yeah, and sometimes that's the worst. The internalized stuff. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 you know, that we let you all know, just speaking down, all that stuff as well. Yeah. Don't speak mm-hmm. out. Don't be too loud, too boisterous. Who will marry a, a loud woman? Um, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't touch on the decolonized. Oh, but, yeah, but, but, we <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're just fucking flowing. Yes, tell me. Well, so, yeah. So what, we, ha- what happened? <laughs> yeah, let me get to it. We were doing second season and we did it out in um, Blockhouse Bay area. And the reason why we chose Blockhouse Bay is because it is quite a diverse mm. um, population. So then we sent out like a PR statement for marketing to help promote the show. And we sent it to this community newspaper. And and in the brief, it, for like the summary of the show, it says we're going to decolonize MasterChef cuisine or something like that. And this, the editor of the newspaper, and by the way, it's an evangelical newspaper. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She wrote back to us and she was like, um, thank you for your letter, but unfortunately we cannot publish this, you know, this PR statement about your show Uh it's, it's a little bit offensive in 2019 as Pakia woman. Um, yes, I'm aware, you know, of like the New Zealand history, but this word decolonize is just, it's, it's not, it's too much for our audiences. And we don't agree with it. We don't agree with the word decolonize. I was like, oh, oh I know. What do you think it means? <laughs> <laughs> You're a white person on New Zealand land. How can you not? Wow. Yeah. And it's interesting because we moved out to the burbs and we thought, ah, oh, because of its diverse demographic, we won't have this problem. We'll be accepted into the community. No, we were not. Clearly, there's more work to be done in, in the burbs. And funnily enough, 
Now, recently, I spoke to one of the, the faux arts people. So they organized, they helped us organize the show in that area. It's called faux. Faux arts region, whatever. Apparently, the editor of that newspaper, the lady, had spoken to this broker. And she said that she is sorry. She apologized. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, after everything that's <clears throat> happened, she realizes what her fault was. Wow. I was like, oh, you know what? It's good that we pushed. Yeah. It truly, truly is. No matter how how hard it is to be the person who pushes because we get the backlash. We felt uncomfortable once mm. again for doing a show called Go Home Curry Manjo that talks about decolonizing. But it's important. Yes. And unfortunately, we I don't know if we have to bear those the brunt of it, but we do. Yes. That's the unfortunate thing about yeah. doing works like this. Yeah. When often you're talking about issues that people don't want to talk about. And saying things without censorship, you end up facing a lot of backlash <laughs> from structures. Yes. And it's, it's, yes. it's honestly as hard as a creative. It truly, truly is. To say that we did the show and it was a success and blah, 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 blah. But afterwards I went home and I was like, is this even worth it? Like, are we reaching people? Are we doing anything? Sometimes you feel like you do one show and you know one show isn't going to change a whole system. But... It's, it's a lot. It's heavy because because it's not one show. It's your life and it's mm. your identity. Mm. And people still view you as this other person. How dare you come here and speak to us about decolonizing MasterChef cuisine and the, and the racial slur when everything is fine in New Zealand. Like, the Christchurch thing happened and we moved on from it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know if we did, but... <laughs> yeah, so that's that decolonizing story. Thanks. Well, whenever I hear of someone denying New Zealand's racism, I'm always like, wow, okay. Yeah, clearly you have a lot to do, mate. Here's Google. It's free. Educate yourself. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask was, uh, we'll we'll get into your other show, but what and how did you learn about sex and your body growing up? Ooh, I love these questions. (laughs) Because they're naughty questions. (laughs) But they're important questions. Yeah. Um, through television. I didn't have conversations with my parents. The, in fact, if any of the conversations that were had around sex or my body, it was, I was thinking about this, it was from a state of protection. It was always warning me about something. So that um, instilled fear into me about my body and about sex and about men, and, you know. And rightly so. I mean, men are shit, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> but um, it's not healthy, I think. It's not It's not the best place to learn about your body and yourself and, and, this, and sex, which is like a natural part of your body. And, and, you know, you're going through puberty and and you want to explore. And I was like humping shit. I was, <laughs> I was a good humper. <laughs> yeah. 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 I didn't have my orgasm till my first orgasm till like maybe in my teen, like late teens. Late teens? Yeah. But I was humping. <laughs> so I was trying to orgasm, but I, I don't think I climaxed. Wow. Or maybe I had like a baby this one, but I didn't thing. remember. We are meant to orgasm people. Yeah. I didn't like, <sighs> like, I think I didn't fully realize yeah, I didn't have like a shake. You know when you have that shake, that body shake orgasm? That to me is a definition of an orgasm, not like these little baby ones. <laughs> but yeah, so so no conversation was had about sex. It was always cover up your boobs. Yes. Oh, your boobs are showing. Co- yeah. Cover them up. Yeah. Why are you wearing that skirt? You're going yeah. out, you know? What are people going to say? Yeah. You have to be careful, Chimeshka, when you go out like that. Yeah. Because at the same time, we're, all, we're sexualized at a very young age. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 13 
I remember all those conversations started happening. And it, like when I first got my period, that's like when the conversation happens. Okay, so now you're a woman. Now you need to protect yourself. Now you need to make sure you're always covered up. Mm. But also, wear makeup when you go to the temple. And I'm like, why? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's these contradictions that I find really fascinating. Yes. From protect our your body, but be attractive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Okay, cool. So because it was, so you can get married, but you can't necessarily, like, express your sexuality for yourself. Mm. So that, that was the difference. Yeah, the only thing my dad said to me was, you know what a condom is, right? And I was like, oh, we're not going to have this conversation. <laughs> just, yes. Yes, I do. And that's good. At least you had, I mean, I don't think I had anything. My parents are very standoffish around that stuff. Except mm-hmm. when they like, on my period, mom's like, oh, you need tampons. What do you need? Oh, your yeah. words and stuff. Yeah. That's the um, only time you can. Really about sex. Yeah. And I remember, like, whenever sex scenes would come on when we were watching television, it would be really awkward. Like, you could just feel the awkwardness in the room, and I would just, like, it's <laughs> just... But no one would speak about it. Like, you would never have, you know, someone would just change the channel and be like, oh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> got to cook, got to <laughs> get back to cooking. Um, tell me, so have you ever been with an Asian woman? So tell yes. me about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think Tinder, Tinder stories, Tinder, Tinder moments. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yes, those, that app, woof exacerbates the fetishization of Asian women, I think, mm. and Asian people. Yeah, so I I know I had a few white boys be like, mm, do you know Kama Sutra? Mm, you're so exotic. And I just, you know, but it's one after the other. It's not just one. It's like when you get five, then you realize, oh, this is uncomfortable. The first time it's like, oh, they're noticing me. Yes. Right? I'm something to them. Whether I'm being exotic, I'm something. But then after the fifth time, you're like, this is uncomfortable and disgusting, and I'm not just exotic for you. I'm not, like, Kama Sutra is this misrepresentation of Indian culture. I First of all, I don't know and I want to know, but <laughs> <laughs> it may be good, but that's not all I am, and am I just, like, a sexual prize for you? That had me thinking. Um, yeah. Mm. And also, I like, an experience I had with a guy. I was driving him home, and he was like, we were just chit-chatting, and he was like, oh, I've never really been with an Indian girl before. And I was like, what does that mean? I've never been with an Indian girl before. So I had to decipher that statement. Like, it's, is it a good, you know, like, is it... What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, because you've never, and you want to, like, but why Indian? Like, why use the word, you know what I mean? Like, it just it just keeps you thinking. And these things like you know simmer in your in your brain for a while, and then it's like oh this Indian thing always comes up. This like color of my skin always comes up. My Asianness always comes up. Um, and then we were like ah here we have another show. <laughs> yeah, and because it wasn't just me, it was um, a bunch of other women who had the similar experiences. Um, we were like we should talk about it. And also the misrepresentation of Asian women in porn is a big thing. Ah uh, yes. Um, I watch a lot of porn, unfortunately, but. <laughs> Yeah, what kind? I did see in your things in 2019. Yeah, I think that um, was it. Japanese, Japanese was, was the a, highest search. Yeah, yeah, um, and like Korean as well was going up there. Yeah, yeah, and I think the top four categories or the top ten categories is like Asian women, the different Asian women take. Yeah, 
like for top numbers or something like that. Um, and then there's also ebony and stuff, which is up there too. Yeah. Have you looked at the New Zealand one? No. Guess what's the number one? The number one was for New Zealand. Is it stepmom? No. Is it a race? Yep. Is it Chinese? No. Oh no. It's Maori. Is it? Yes. <gasps> <gasps> what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. So. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, still fetishizing in yes. this country. Of oh. course. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. That's like so twisted, because you don't treat Maori oh. r- right, but yet you want to go and Look. jack off to them. Yeah. Because they're just like this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's disgusting, isn't it? Yeah. And it's also harmful. Like, so when we came up with this idea, we found out these statistics. These statistics, sorry. Um, and we we're like, this is fucked up. And then uh, we did a bit of more research, and we realized there were some articles that came up and saying that the fetishization and the discrimination and the hypersexualization of Asian women in the media actually leads to domestic violence and and more gender-based violence towards mm-hmm. Asian women. And those numbers are really high. And, and it's also high because um, Asian women feel like they can't speak up about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are probably more numbers and more, you know, figures of abuse, unfortunately. Yeah, and then it also got us thinking about the news that came out with the Asian woman who got murdered by her husband... And then the Grace Mullane story and how the Grace Mullane story kind of... Yes, that's right. You saw Grace Mullane's face everywhere. Yeah. Mm. But this Asian woman kind of swept under the rug a little bit. Mm. Yeah, so that... Those those things triggered us once more into the show. And so what was the response to to that show? It was good. Because it was at the basement and it was in Auckland and right, <laughs> that's right, why right, it was right, good. Right. We didn't take it anywhere yet. But <laughs> it wasn't in Christchurch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was surprisingly good. I thought people would be turned off by it. Some people were. There was this, um, so there was this Asian guy who was a reviewer. And in one part of the show, we do a skit called AA, which is, um, I think it's Asians Anonymous where we play white guys who have um, fetish problems with Asian women. <laughs> and so we're at, like, the AA meeting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're at the AA meeting, like, trying to heal from this fetishization that we have, right? Yeah. And, um, and it's a great skit. It's personally one of my favorites that bits uh, in the show. And everyone loved it. And then this um, Asian guy comes up to us afterwards, and he's like, yeah, that, that was really cringy. That, that part in the show was really, like, I felt really uncomfortable by it. I was like, oh, interesting. And then he wrote a review... Yeah. about, like, the show, and he said that part was, like, the Asians, the skit was really uncomfortable for him to watch. And he also said that he couldn't believe that our stories were that real. Like, he found it really um, hard to believe that the things that we were saying came from real experiences. Oh. And it was just in a little bit of a condescending tone, and I was a bit ticked off about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, because totally. Oh, so a bit of a denial Den- that yeah. that's Exists. a reality yeah. for some people. Yeah, and a, and a stark reality, and I guess all of us had the similar things to say about it. So five women on stage were mm. like, this is real for us, and mm. we've all had a similar experience. Yeah, that's interesting that he would choose that bit. To highlight. Yeah. Yeah, and not really, I guess, to look into why yeah. we needed to have these conversations or put on the show 
it was more about how he felt uncomfortable and cringy about what we were delivering mm. once again, right? Mm. <laughs> oh, yes, many layers to unpack there, I'm sure. <laughs> um, okay, so I read in this Metro article that you've said, I'm just going to read it out, um, which I thought was awesome and so true. Oftentimes the world can see you as the one who's fixated on being Asian. And if you don't use your platform to talk about your Asian experiences, people ask you, why not? You just can't win. And I thought it's so true. It's like you have to be talking about your Asianness, or like you can't. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, eh? It's almost like um, you have to always explain yourself. Yes. To white people. Yeah. <laughs> because then it's yeah. like, oh, well, then your story doesn't matter, or you know, there's yeah. no like, or you are just your Asianness. You are not a human being. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. You don't have desires or needs or wants or, you know, secrets. Yeah. You, you know, you're not a you, nuanced yeah. person. Or you exist to be put into the slot of the hierarchy of white supremacy. Yeah. And yeah. you exist to be observed, seen, and heard by white people. Yeah. And for their uh, validation mm. um, rather than your own or for mm. your own community. Mm. And I think also maybe as, as like, children of the diaspora, we, um, and living in a Western world, it's very, I know for me, I internalised a lot of that. I'm still unlearning. Mm. And I'm still catching myself. I'm like, yeah. oh, I know. It's, yeah, it's me trying to be, like, fucking white person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My hope is that we get to a place soon mm. where we don't have to present our Asianness first. Mm. You know, where the stories that we tell are just great stories yes. rather than an Asian story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a hard one because also, but also at the same time, in the grand scheme of things, Asian stories aren't, there aren't enough of them as well. Yeah. So. And I, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like we're, we're in the beginning of the shift mm. and we have to, unfor- unfortunately, again, we have to push mm. and for us to push for normal stories or for us to be seen as normal or to normalize ourselves really yes we have to we first have to say what it is because it hasn't been said before and that that i think is a problem and that's why representation is so problematic you know the discussions around it and stuff because like kamala harris said she may be the first but she's definitely not the last. Yeah. And I think that sentence really rings true for me in terms of how I look at what's happening right now with storytelling. We may be the first, but we're definitely not the last. And that is a sign of hope. And even though we have to push and we have to prove our Asianness, the person who comes up after maybe won't have to do that. And that's a really, really beautiful thing. Yes. What if they'll just be allowed to exist as themselves? How, how great. Yeah. That would be amazing. But And we should also push to have that for ourselves. Yes. Right? Yeah. We shouldn't just push to whatever. We should push to see ourselves as normal and to share our stories in a normal way rather than just be uh, another Asian thing. And it's also pressure. Pressure when you go into... Because these spaces are, are white. These art industry spaces are white. And so... In order to get any sort of, at- not attention or, you know, p- space or to, t- to share your story, you have to say, oh, I'm going to tell an Asian story. Yes. You feel the pressure to conform to that. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's troubling mm. a little bit on the inside because mm. you once again are like, am I just an Asian doll for you? Yeah, yeah. Once again, I'm having to prove my Asian-ness 
<laughs> to you so I can make the show I want to make. But what? So you can just get money because it's like a device, a diversity thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's really fucked up system. <laughs> what has your family's response been to your work? They haven't seen it, and I don't know if I want them to. Do see they it. know? No. They don't know. They have no idea. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Well, I haven't told my parents about this podcast, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that crazy. Um, I love that it. Interesting? I love it. Okay, so they don't know. How do no. they not know? What do they think you're doing? So they know I do a bit of performance stuff. They don't know the content. Like, oh. they don't know how, I guess, unapologetic it is or how, like, that I talk about sex or, yeah. or, or racism or call-out shit. They kind of... <laughs> I mean, who I am at home is I'm not really... I'm, I'm kind of... I'm not a good girl, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obedient to my parents. Like, I have to be, you know? I get it. I get it. We're well, pretty good at code switching. Yeah! Mm. We really are, and I think that's why we're the best storytellers, because <laughs> we're used to that, right? <laughs> we're magical beings. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they they, they kind of, and they've seen the poster for Go Home Curry Mancha, so they see me in a sari, and they know that I've talked about, like, banana curry sandwiches and, like, my Indianness. But, yeah, they don't know to what extent and how, and, um, yeah, they don't know the things that I say, like, things I say in my poems. They have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if I I want them to. Not now, anyways. Mm. Maybe maybe in a few years time, mm. but definitely not now, because it, it's scary. Yeah, because we don't talk about these things at home, so I don't feel comfortable having them in the theater yeah. show. You think I talk about my parents? All games to my parents? No. <laughs> you think I talk about sex with my parents? No. Um, yeah. And I'm also I'm also okay with not having them there. Like I I kind of prefer not having them in in the show where I'm talking about sex because then I feel a little bit free. I know it sounds weird, but... Like, I know, like, semi-support me. They don't fully because I'm not able to monetize myself as an artist. So that's the big discussion is like, oh, well, you know, you're not really... How are you going to monetize it? You can't do this forever in Jamashka. Like, think about yourself. I'm like, yes, no, I am thinking. You're not helping me. Yeah, but I, I guess when I am able to monetize myself, maybe they will see the work. Mm. Yeah, but then there's also a lot of shame attached to the discussions that we have. And so yeah. to bring parents into that is tricky because you also don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Yes, absolutely. You want to respect them. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And there's just, and that's a lot of emotional labor all around. For yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're protecting each other. And that's what we do as Asian kids, right? I mean, that's what the parents did for themselves. They wouldn't have these conversations, so they would protect themselves and protect us. Yeah. We do it out of love and protection. Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily deceit. Yeah. Although it may come across as deceit to other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that unspoken thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, you're, also, you're also doing workshops, or if you've done workshops with young people to help them find their voice. Spoken word poetry. Yeah. Yeah, so that's at Tabak. Yeah. Um, that's great. I love that. What are you finding with these young people? What are the things that you are trying to instill in them? That all their experiences and emotions are valid, no matter what people think or what other people say is right or wrong. Whatever they experience, whatever they feel is completely valid and it should be set out, it should be written on the page, it should be performed out to whoever. They don't have to worry about how people interpret it. They just have to feel what they feel and um, feel confident in what they feel. 
think that's the main thing. And it's also like a confidence in, in what they have to say and not feeling guilty or ashamed. That's mm. the main thing try and instill in them is you feel what you feel and there's no shame in it. No shame in it at all. Because everyone is different and every story deserves to be told. And we all deserve to be up there. All those kids, they deserve it, man. Like, no matter what background you come from or what gender you are, all deserve it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's fun with kids because they have hope. <laughs> they have this thing called hope. <laughs> <laughs> They're not jaded yet. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Right. You have done a workshop with the Have You Ever Been With An Asian Woman, yes. right? Yes, yes. So what happens in those ones? We have great yarns. Um, personal experiences, personal stories, things that we find problematic. So we start off with prompts and everyone writes stuff on a mind map. Mm -hmm. And then we come together and we just discuss. And then one thing leads to other things and we go on different tangents. And then um, we're there for like five hours discussing shit. And we write down stuff. And there's also a space for people to write or, or create a response in whatever form that may be, whether it's a drawing or a poem or collage of yeah. something. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's set up to create a space for Asian women to just vent, yes. to meet other women, to feel valid, that their emotions and experiences are valid. Yeah, and to know that they're not alone. Yeah, I kind of love like, the stuff that you're doing because it is like creating space for a community, building mm. connections, mm. and that it is, yeah, it's, you can, it's okay to say the shit that you have to say yeah it's okay yeah and it's also okay to feel guilty sometimes mm. and all these things because we we don't have that space so i think we realize we need to create it for ourselves mm. because it's so important because when you release when you share there's something magical that happens in a room yes isn't it yes it's like something happens yes yeah and I always leave that room feeling like fuck I feel so much more connected to the Asian sisterhood I want to do more work I want to fuck more shit up you know I want to yell at more people (laughs) (laughs) yes what's next for you um (laughs) so many things dependent on other things yeah um so we got funding to do more workshops for Asian women. Yay! Which is great. So we're going to do that. And that's in collaboration with Helen, actually. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. So at the end of the workshops, um, the women get to uh, work on zines or create zines. Okay. I'm definitely going to like, stalk you and maybe come along. Yes, awesome. you should. Just even if you want to come for one. Yeah. Just to pop in and What's hear. What's the age it. range? Oh, however, 16 to 60. Okay. Yeah. So, come. Okay, great. <laughs> you don't have to be, like, on TikTok to qualify. <laughs> well, actually, I am on TikTok. Not creating TikToks, but I, like, I'm addicted to TikTok. I love TikTok, too. Um, what size of TikTok have you been on? Um, diaspora. Oh, yeah. I love seeing, like, the diaspora kids and what they're coming up with and yeah. the fusion stuff. Like, so WAP came out. Yes. And then and then there was, like, the, like, Bangra WAP remix. Yes. Which was amazing. Yes. And then there's all this Kamala Harris stuff on TikTok. And then also, like, um, calling white people out. That's my favorite stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And, like, funny shit. I really like funny shit. Yeah. Like, funny memes and stuff. Yeah. People who bag on TikTok, I'm like, you just haven't worked the algorithm yeah. for you. Because, honestly... It's addictive. Um, yeah. My circle of friends, they're not really on TikTok. So all of the, like, the humor and yeah. the, like, meme stuff, they don't get. So I'm trying to find more people. <laughs> you found okay, me. Awesome. Great. <laughs> My favorite thing that I have taken away from TikTok is Caucasity. Oh, yeah. Yes. And right? I know exactly the one who says that. Yes. I know that TikTok. It's so good. 
that's when I'm like, this is why we have the internet. Yeah. It's for diaspora kids yeah. to bring us together and to help us band together when white people irritate us. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Because I, I genuinely feel really close to my Asian-ness and my identity and me as a diaspora through social media. Yeah. And that's kind of like the next thing I'm working on. Okay. Yeah. Cool. How, how, how we as diaspora daughters connect online yeah. or don't connect. Or versus the relationship we have online versus the reality yeah because it's different and and i see us like for me i feel like you know things like tiktok and social media i'm so drawn to it and i found my niche and it's obviously really easy and accessible because of the algorithms and shit mm. and that's problematic in itself because then i create a bubble yes yeah and yeah, i think yeah. the whole world is like me but <laughs> yeah, it's not the reality <laughs> is probably very not yeah 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 so, so I'm working on that, and then I um, I have a play called Spicy House slash Marigold Memories, which is about three generations of women sharing their experiences with each other and how that affects this house that they live in. And we go back in time to South Africa and, like, apartheid South Africa and stuff and see that. Wow. So, yeah, I really want to get that made and finished and yeah. get funding for it. Everything's always depending on funding, which is so annoying. Yeah, and then hopefully do more Asian women workshops and put on a second season, like a, a bigger season with maybe more women, and evolve the discussion further. Yes. Because it's such a important discussion to have. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like we just touched on things. It's only just beginning, I feel. Yeah. Okay. Which is awesome, which is sort of why, I, you know, I get so excited with everyone who I get to speak to on here, because it's like, I get to see people who are creating for for a community. Mm. But also through the creating, they're growing and healing mm. and building connections, which is awesome. Yeah. And it's totally inspiring. Well, you have created this for us. Like, this hadn't happened before, and like, you're just. Honestly, I'm, kind of, I, I'm surprised that it hasn't. <laughs> I, I like, know, me too. <laughs> I'm just like, really? Okay, well, I'm just going to do this thing. Yeah. But it's. it's it's beautiful that we're supporting each other. Yeah. I am here for it. I'm loving it. We need more of it. Yes. Because it's really hard when you're on your own to create a show, to create a space for yourself, when you're up against systems that have stereotyped you for years and will continue to. So we have to be here for each other because, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's difficult to be the lone wolf. And sometimes you just feel like you are. And then when you find another sister, you're like, well, can I tell you what I've had? Can I share my experiences with you? Yes. Yeah. You can. Yeah. And that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for... Oh, no, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of, it's interesting, and maybe it's the same for you, but through doing whatever the thing, whether it be a show, a workshop, this podcast, creating a zine, through creating and being unapologetically ourselves in that thing, it's not just about the product, because through that we're connected to each other and ourselves on a deeper level. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, um... We find out new things about ourselves. Yeah. And then when we get to share it, it's a, it's a beautiful thing because yeah. that helps another person heal. Yeah. Or that makes another person think. Or they can go off and be inspired by that and find something in their own life to share with another person. Yeah. And so it's this beautiful chain domino reaction of diaspora daughters. <laughs> I love that. Each other. Diaspora. Yes. Um, is there anything else? Want to talk about? Yes. <laughs> um, that we haven't covered. Yeah, I think the most important thing is that someone said the most radical thing you can do is to love yourself as a woman. Mm. 
And so let that be your fight. Let that be your your activism. Yeah. To love yourself no matter what you do or what you say or how guilty you feel about it afterwards. If you want to call out a white person, call them out, sister. Yeah. And don't don't feel guilty for it. Don't feel guilty for being triggered by stuff. The trauma ends with us. Yeah. That's what I want, the trauma to end with us. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. That was so good. Oh, thank you. Awesome. You're going to have a lot to edit. <laughs> no, I think that was great. If you've got any comments or questions, head to the website or Asian and Aotearoa on Instagram. 